White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 738. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the Palatial White Rocket Studios, somewhere on the southern continent of Orion 7, it's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing today? Oh, good. I, I'd written that down last time, and I started reading my little introductory script, and I was halfway through saying it when I realized it still said Orion 7, so I'm like, go with it! <laughs> go with it! <laughs> so here we are back on Orion 7. Um, but our episode tonight... You're going to spend a lot of time on Mars, a lot of time on Mars. I mean, like almost all of our, almost all of our time almost. on Mars. So yeah, we are up to 417, the face of the enemy. This is a big one. This is an interesting one. This is a good one. So, it, it um, is. so before we dig into it, let's just update everybody. How, how are things going in your mysterious corner of the Midwest? <laughs> Things are going fine. Nothing, nothing terribly new or exciting, but you know, <laughs> it's it's the heat of the summer, and, and we're busy doing stuff with the kid and all that stuff. So I hear you. Well, um, in terms of news, I guess we have a couple of things to get to. One thing, just real quickly, this off the top of my head, this is not really news, other than I've been hearing a little bit from the Dragon Con track directors. But not military sci-fi track director yet. But but I have heard from at least one or two. And what that means is any day now, the panels will be announced. And so that means we will know what the Babylon 5 panel or panels will be on the military sci-fi track. Military sci-fi media is the name of it at DragonCon 2023. So I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully I'm on them. If there's more than one or one, I hope so. And um, it's going to be very exciting. So I'm curious, now with the actor strike going on, Yeah. Um, I know they have canceled a lot of stuff at, at uh, San, Diego. San Diego Comic-Con. Probably, I'm assuming that's going to affect the promotion of the, the, the Babylon 5 animated movie as well. The movie, yeah. It 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 ha- something like this this is my understanding okay i may be completely off base but this is my understanding right now something like this has a much more drastic effect on san diego comic con than it does on dragon con because san diego comic con is a corporate run entity that basically is a promotional arm of the studios and there's nothing wrong with that that's fine i'd love to go sometime if it wasn't eight million miles from here and cost a bajillion dollars. But it is very much a promotional thing. And what the actors are specifically prohibited from doing is promotional things, right? Right. So so basically a lot of the stuff at San Diego has just been canceled. Mm -hmm. And that's 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 fine. Good for the 
writers and the actors and everything, God bless them. But a lot of it's been canceled. Dragon Con is a fan-run convention. It's hard to imagine that it is since it gets 85,000 you know, people every year, that it's a fan-run right. event and not a corporate But it is. And so when actors and other creative people show up at Dragon Con, it's a personal visit, not a corporate promotional junket, right? And that means they are they are under no obligation either way, and so they're welcome to still come. They just, because of the union rules, they can't actively promote current stuff, but they can talk about, you know, whatever else. So, gotcha. um, so it will, in other words, at San Diego, it's going to eliminate things. At mm-hmm. Dragon Con, it's just going to, I think, constrain and limit things. Which is gotcha. unfortunate because, again, the, the animated movie will be a, a casualty, at least in terms of uh, having them to talk about it, which is too bad. But at least they might. This last I've heard, they'll Steve, I haven't heard any cancellations yet, but you never know. So. Good. Good, yeah, good, So good. we'll see. We will see. Um, what was the thing I sent you about the, um, well, there's the Blu-ray thing. Right. You're so up- the Blu-ray thing, yeah, the. There's they're releasing the the Babylon Five collected series the the entire series on Blu-ray, which is pretty cool, and it's basically the same thing that we're getting the high-res stuff that we're getting on through uh, that we had through um, HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um, only it's it's made for Blu-ray, so it's even going to be higher resolution, higher def. Um, and the cool part about this is somebody asked them why is Babylon Five getting so much love from Warner's now. That was it, yeah. And JMS said, "Well, it's amazing how much you know attention something can get when somebody who was a, an executive who hated Babylon Five and was blocking everything from happening finally retires." I thought that was uh, mind-boggling. I mean, it, it's—I guess it's not because you always hear stories about you know movie executives purposefully you know uh, trying to, to torpedo another movie executive's movies because they just don't like them or something stupid like that. I mean, mm. it, it's amazing how much money Hollywood leaves on the table by playing petty politics like that. And I guess that's what was going on with Babylon 5 for the past 20 years, which is frustrating because imagine all the cool stuff we could have gotten that that was blocked because of one guy's ego. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, think of all the cool Babylon stuff, Babylon 5 stuff that we had the first 5 or 6 7 years. We had action figures, mini, micro machines, you know, tr- trading cards, collectible card yeah. games, model kits. Yeah. We had, I Role mean, I've got games. tons of stuff. Yeah, I've got tons of it here. And then yep. suddenly it all just completely dried up, and they wouldn't let them do anything with it. And, um, yeah, we find out that um, it's been this one guy all along. I mean, there have been rumors before, but now he kind of basically out, came out and said, this guy retired, and now we can do stuff. So, you know, in the blink of an eye, we got the new show, hopefully. Yep. At least talking, you know, moving right. that way. We got the animated movie, and and now the uh, the Blu-ray. Now, the only thing I'll say about the Blu-ray that's that's I don't know. I won't say disappointing, but depends on what you like, right? The the here's all. This has always been the frustrating thing about Babylon Five in terms of how it was filmed and made. They knew the day would come that TVs would be sixteen by nine. They anticipated that, and they filmed right. the show in sixteen by nine. It then aired in 4x3, which was still the standard in 1995, 96, 97, 98, right, when they filmed it. But because they were in a dang hurry, there was no point 
I mean, they didn't have the money or the time or the resources to render the CGI of all the spaceship battles and planetary landscapes and Mars and all that. They didn't have the time to do a full 16 by 9 render. They needed to get this thing up on the satellite and out to the stations, right? Right. And so all the visual effects were done at 4 by 3 So what that has meant for the show over the years is they had a, you had a choice. They could either air or put on DVD or whatever. They could either use 16 by 9 the full frame for the actor scenes, and then crop, letterbox, the, uh, the visual effects scenes, um, or other way around. They could put the actors in 4 by 3 so that they could keep all of the 4 by 3 of the special effects shots. Right. Either way is disappointing, Right. Because right. you either lose part of the scene they filmed of the actors, or you lose, or, or you have to do something funky. You have to chop off the top and the bottom of the battle scenes. Right. A- and you might say, well, why don't they just re-render all the effects? We're talking 110 hours of show, and every one of them, to some degree or another, had tons of visual effects. You know, they they actually did redo the visual effects for the original Star Trek on DVD years ago. I've got them. Right. Yeah. They, and and they look great, but... It cost a fortune, have, and they didn't right, make the it, money back. Right. It, and it had the backing of, of you know, whoever owned oh, Star yeah. Trek at the time. And Star Paramount. Trek's a major cultural iconic thing. And they still lost money on it. They still right. lost money. I've got them right over here, but they still lost yeah. money. So if Star Trek couldn't... Doing three seasons... Right. Was going to lose money. Imagine doing five seasons of Babylon 5 re-rendering with way more visual effects than Star Trek ever had, ever thought about having. Way more. Right. So there was just no way. There's no way. I mean, you know, JMS is basically right to do a new show because it's easier to do an entirely new Babylon 5 with new effects than to try to update the effects on the old show. Right. Um, So all of that, I said all of that, well, A, to explain it, but for those that didn't know. But also, B, I'm not in a hurry to go buy this because I've got it on iTunes. I've got it on DVD, and i got it on my Plex server, two different formats. And so I'm good, you know? I <laughs> I don't – I just watched – you know, as long as it was on Max, I watched that version. Right. And that was fine. So I don't – feel the need to watch the whole show all the way over again just to see really, really sharp detail on Ivanova's leather jacket or something. You know, right. <laughs> whatever. I mean, some people do, and God bless them, that's fine. That's just not me. So, I'm right. about the story, not about the high definition of the backgrounds or whatever. So. Right. I'm with you. So anyway, um, I, I think you rolled the other news item I had into that, which is great. So I think we've covered... Is there any other news I'm not thinking of? I can't think of anything. Yeah, I think that's it. All right, well, let's get on into it then. 417, The Face of the Enemy. Oh, here's everybody's, one of everybody's two favorite moments in the show. That's where where Andy tries to guess the P5 rating of this episode on Lurker's Guide. So again, for those that don't know, when the show originally aired, Lurker's Guide to Battle 5, a website, polled hundreds and hundreds of fans every week and said, rate this episode 0 to 10. And they give a number to the second decimal place, like 7.53 or something, right? They give up to the, uh, uh, between 0 and 10. And Andy tries to guess what this episode's P5 rating is. And you haven't cheated. You've been very good 
based on your answers, right. you've been very good about about not not going and looking. That's good. So, Andy, what was the face of the enemy's P5 rating? Da, 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 da. Right, in fact, you know what? I got a I got a thing for it. I'm going to use this one. Andy guesses the the P5 rating. <laughs> All right, and uh, I have my own theme music now. You do. I'm going to say 9.4. Woo! You have learned your lesson, haven't you? Tell the folks. I have. Tell the folks what the lesson you learned was after like two of these. Uh, I come up with, with whatever rating I think it might be, and I then I this. add one to it. Add one to <laughs> because it. it. Because this was taken originally as the show aired, so yes. people were a lot more wowed by it. Understandably, totally understandably. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember being totally blown away by it as well. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So you said nine point four. I did. The actual P five rating for this episode is nine point two six. So you <laughs> missed it by zero point one four. That's pr- less than that's that's that rounds down to zero point one one tenth of a point. So that's not too bad. That's, uh, I'll give you one of these. Please clap. There you go. Very well done. <laughs> Very well done. All For right. those of you playing along at home, you can clap now. There you go. All right, this is production number 417. The production number and the airing number have been pretty much the same for quite a while now because, obviously, they are in a specific order. You know, they can't really move them around. Uh, this originally aired June 9th, 1997. And, and was, I, I, yes. I, I would like to mention something. What you just said there... They can't move them around. Mm. That is the big reason why Babylon 5 was never uh, in um, repeats on syndication, like Star Trek was and so many shows, because they want shows that you can just pick up and watch any Mm -hmm. episode whenever. That's that's what... You know, that's what gets people in. So an episodic show like this would never have worked in syndication as, as repeats. It's exactly right. It's why... It's why Babylon 5 has always erroneously, but understandably, been called that soap opera in space, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's understandable because it does serially go like a soap opera, but it's erroneous because soap operas exist to exist and have no endpoint. This had a specific beginning and a specific ending. I've always right. said, this show seems like General Hospital in space, but it's actually like the winds of war stretched way out in space right instead of five nights it's five years but it's still it's roots the winds of war the thorn birds shogun that's a better example than general hospital one life to live but you know now that you say that i want a daytime soap opera called babylon 5 med lab Uh, it's it's got it's got the hunky doctor who's always hitting on the women it's got you know all the medical drama it's got you know you can bring in stuff from babylon 5 the spies and the action oh that would be oh you know who drops in constantly on that show marcus right absolutely oh marcus comes by all the time (laughs) and the the nurses the two nurses are like that marcus he's dreamy (laughs) And you wouldn't need any special effects. Just oh, you wow. can have the the the, the fake looking aliens. Oh, it would be awesome. Uh, this it'd be worth it just for the Pac Mara and his saga. <laughs> I want it so bad now. Med Lab. <laughs> One anyway, med lab go ahead. To live. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> One Med Lab to live, Andy. <laughs> right. The edge well, of Epsilon Three. 
I one Mark Ev to live. <laughs> no Mark Ev to live. <laughs> no Whoa, you overestimated that one by a little bit. Wow. <laughs> Woo, all right. That 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 could actually be their big season finale would be like the Mark Ev thing. But anyway. All right, so uh, written, of course, by JMS, directed by Mike Vehar, another one of yes. Mike's episodes, and I think that, obviously, yep. this is a big heavy hitter episode. You needed a big heavy it hitter is, director. It is, and he did, there were some really, I'll get into it later, but there's some really cool stuff that he did in this episode yes. that I really enjoyed. I have something to say about that, too, for sure. All right, whose turn is it to do the summary? That would be yours. Okay. Sheridan's search for his father leads him into danger on Mars. Lita warns Franklin of an impending clash between telepaths and mundanes, or muggles, I suppose. <laughs> and, uh, you're a telepath, Harry. <laughs> Alfred, uh, Mr. Golly. And Garibaldi chooses between loyalty to Sheridan and to Edgar's. Yeah, I guess he, yeah, that's. He that's sure an did. interesting take on it. Yeah, there you go. That's the usually opaque um, summary from Lurker's Guide. Notable guest stars this time. There's one that I particularly liked. I'd forgotten this was his his cameo. Yeah. We get Richard Gant as Captain McBoogan. Hi, yep. Captain yeah. McBoogan. <laughs> we were talking about Mackie uh, last time. We were wondering if he showed up any more episodes. Oh, sure Mackie's, Mackie's awesome. Yeah. Good old Captain Mack from Clan McDonough. Up around the lock. <laughs> uh, Denise Gentile or Gentile as Lise. Walter Koenig as Bester. Woo! He made yes. a triumphant return to the show. I got something to say about that, too. Good old Marjorie Monahan is number one. Mm-hmm. Mark Schneider is back as Wade. Yep. Possibly the least bad, bad flunky on the entire series. Is that fair? Right. That is absolutely fair because he he escaped the the generic thug uh, background. I mean, he he moved on up to you know corporate flunky. So he started out in it. His first appearance, right. if that had been the only time we ever saw him, he would have not made an impression other than oh, not another one. Right. But yes, he does. Well, they escape gave him it. more. They gave him more. The the actor more meat to, to yes. chew on a little bit, and he's a, a talented actor, and he did a good job with it. I thought. Yes. Ephraim Zimbalis Jr., who we covered in great excruciating detail last episode as William Edgars. <laughs> he popped up again. I'm currently reading um, Before the Storm uh, by Rick Perlstein, one of these okay. books in the series Reaganland, Nixonland, The Invisible Bridge. Gotcha. And it's the, it's the prologue, basically, book about the 1964 Barry Goldwater, Nelson Rockefeller, Lyndon Johnson election for president. And... Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. keeps popping up. They're like, Barry Goldwater, no, no, um, is Go- yeah, Barry Goldwater was in Texas for this event, and Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was the host, was the MC, you know, or something. And I'm like, whoa, there he is again. So he really was involved in like Republican politics in a big way yeah. in, that, in that era. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, of course, the big, the big cameo was the great Harlan Ellison, the story yeah. consultant as random telepath at the end. Yeah. And I may have told this story before because obviously Harlan Ellison is a story consultant and best buddy of JMS, but um, I was on a panel with Harlan Ellison after he had his stroke and he wasn't in the greatest of condition. And um, I had one of my books, I think a hardcover of Lucian, sitting there on the table in front of me while we were waiting on the, on the panel to start. And I looked over at one point and Harlan had picked it up and was reading it. 
And there's wow. a photograph somebody in the audience took. And in the photograph, you see me and Harlan Ellison sitting there next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. Harlan is reading my book, and I have this look on my face like I'm about to have a gigantic heart attack. I'm just like... <laughs> so, that's my Harlan Ellison story. Oh, that did you the offer, fact that... Did you offer to give it to him? You can say, you can have that one, Mr. Ellison, if you want to read it. <laughs> I didn't want him to say no. <laughs> I was afraid going to be like, Harlan, this piece of crap. Harlan, yeah, and let's be Harlan, honest. He said, no, kid, get out of I'm, here with this crap. I'm saying, it's Harlan Ellison. There was right. as a, a better than average shot that he would say, are you kidding me? This piece of crap? Get out of here, kid. Yeah, it's absolutely. There. I just don't want to give him the chance. But but um, I've told the story before, though, that the first time I, eh, the second time I saw him at Dragon Con, he and Peter David, the great Peter David, right? Did yep. the show tunes right? I yes, told this story. You mentioned that before. That oh, was so good. So I have I have several I have several Harlan Ellison stories that I'm very proud of. I've lived quite a life, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> My life has you're been like quite an adventure. Like Would you like to hear it? Cup. I will now light a cigar and regale you with stories of my life. You're like the Forrest Gump of, of sci-fi media. <laughs> God, I hope not. I hope it's better than that. I hope I wasn't just standing there like a... I am from Alabama, though, so that's fair, I guess. But I didn't go to Alabama. I went to the much better school in the state. So Anyway, moving along before everybody tunes out and changes the channel. Let's see. Random factoids. What have you got on the terms of the random factoids and notes and interesting tidbits? The only one that I could dig up was uh, there is a scene in there when Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is talking about the the telepaths and the, the whole plane he has for him. And he says, uh, this is how we deal with the telepath problem. But he stops... When he's saying it, he, I don't know if you remember, but he says telepath, and then he kind of chokes up and says problem and continues with his line. That was not scripted like that. That was, and uh, Ephraim said afterwards in an interview, that when he was saying the line, he was shocked about how much it paralleled how the Jews were treated in Germany, and he was actually emotionally choked up at that point because it just hit him really hard. Because his family was Jew. he was oh, baptized yeah. he was baptized as a Christian, but only because his Jewish parents mm -hmm. didn't want him to suffer in in America like they suffered in in, in uh, Eastern Europe. That's right. So that and the director thought that that was just a, an amazing delivery. He thought that he was you know doing that on purpose, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, decided to go with that take. They they did other takes, but they they thought that was the best one. I thought that was really fascinating yeah and it's and it's interesting too because if you go with it what you're doing is saying that even as he's doing this thing that he's doing even he right realizes that it's problematic at best right and i mean we could have a very interesting discussion about his plan yeah. because oh yeah i mean it's kind of like it's not quite believers level moral debate but i mean in some ways it's more i mean it's you know let's just talk about it for a second let's since the the the, 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 the horse is out of the barn now so let's talk about it for just a minute i don't want to go on for an All hour right. but so i'll put it to you this way knowing how, what we know about the telepaths and feeling like they're basically mutant nazis basically uh at least as they're portrayed psychor is for sure yeah um when 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 Edgar's lays out his vision of why he's doing this, 
I mean, I got to admit, my, the first thing I think is, well, there's maybe something to that. Then I go, wait a minute, dear God. But but when he lays it out first, you know, like they're going right. to rule us and take over and we're all doomed and this way we can at least compete with them and it gives us some leverage or whatever. I'm like, yeah, yeah, tell me more. Wait a minute. Right. That's that's how demagogues become. That's how they get you. Come into power, right. That's they, a, they, they do sound reasonable when, when they are spouting their their genocidal nonsense. Yeah. Um. I mean, it, it's it's hard it's 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 hard to give a take on this because we're, we, you and I, being normal humans, would be on the losing side looking at people that we think are coming to you know to take over. I, I mean, it's easy for us right now to say, well, that's morally reprehensible because we are not in that situation, right? Where where this is an actual scientific genetic evolution that would make you know humanity basically something of the past it's 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 difficult i mean it's it's hard it's it's easy to be on the moral high ground and say well i wouldn't go along with that but i mean if we were actually in that situation we're looking at the extinction of or the the very real existential existential end of our of our species it it would be hard not to go along with them it puts it it gets you and i'm going to mention this again later but it it gets you into that whole Charles Xavier versus Magneto yeah, argument. Sure. Well, but it is morally reprehensible. I mean, what what he wants to do is 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 terrible. Yeah, I mean, but it's, like it's, I said, I mean, you could see why he would think his perspective is interesting. I'll put it this way: there's nobody else on this show that gives you his perspective, both on the telepaths and on the Clark government, right? So he's been very useful to kind of broaden our field a little bit of vision and understand Absolutely. what's going on. Absolutely. Right? It, yeah. And and like we we've said more than once, you know, from a writer's standpoint, the best villains think that they're the hero of the story. Yeah. You know that this is it, this is is building um, a, a realistic villain in in that it's something that you could actually relate to and think, huh, he's not that bad after all. You know. Maybe he's maybe he's onto something here. You know, even if it just makes you think in the back of your mind, that's mm-hmm. a very effective antagonist. We'll, we'll call him an antagonist, not even a villain. I mean, that's right. It, that's a, a very powerful tool to to you know to make you to, to bring the 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 antagonist that much more to life. And it's it's it. They did an excellent job with with. Uh, um, Well, think about it this way, because we've seen this kind of a plot on other shows when you think about it. The difference is, this is as far as I know the only time when humans have contemplated doing something like this to humans. If this was like, if this was Stargate and they were doing it to some kind of aliens, Mm -hmm. or if this was Star Trek, they did it to the Borg, I believe. Right. Yeah. You know, and people "Eh, do what you got to do to preserve your your people, right? Well, if you think of telepaths as not our people, but an other like aliens, then suddenly this just seems like doing it to the Borg or something. Right. Again, I'm not advocating anything, and I'm certainly acknowledging the horrific aspects of what he's talking about doing, but right. I'm saying that it really does raise a lot of questions that are interesting to, to you know, to think about. Right. And and Wade even even says, you know, he, he even classifies them as a separate species. He calls them Homo superior versus Homo sapiens. Yeah. You know, he's he's already just scientifically calling them the other, you know, just classifying them 
like that, mm. you know, right off the bat. So, yeah. Yeah, and I was going to mention that too as a reference to the, like that's the that's the reference they use in Marvel that when Magneto talks about mutants, he calls them Homo Superior, right? Compared to Homo Sapien, yeah. So they well, that, 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 so JMS borrowed a little Marvel terminology there. I think that was just a little nod to Wade being a comic book geek. Yeah, <laughs> he does seem like he'd be a comic book geek. <laughs> you know, Mister Garibaldi, before we go and kill these telepaths, I'm looking for Action Comics number three seventeen. If you, if you, do you know where I can find that issue? There, I, I really kind of need it. Yeah, there there's my Wade. Um, all right, I, a couple of things I noted. Clearly, there's a part of Garibaldi that knows what he's doing inside that head. Because he references Judas and 30 pieces of silver to Eggers. Now, the the Lurker's Guide mentioned, oh, that's a biblical reference to Judas. I'm like, yeah, nope. But <laughs> they didn't reference the fact that Garibaldi referenced it. And what I thought was interesting was that it occurred to him at all, right? Because if he thought he's doing the right thing, why would he think of himself as Judas? He knows he's betraying his friend. Right. He, well, can't, and he can't stop it. Right, Besser even touches on that when he's when he's you know laying it all out, giving his villain speech there at the end. He even says, you know, I can see you inside pounding on the walls trying to get out because you're just watching what's going on. That's exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right, I want your view on this. When the Agamemnon shows up, the first time I saw this episode, I 100% believed they were going to betray Sheridan. I thought this is too easy. They just show up like, oh, Captain Sheridan, we've been trying to catch up to you for a long time. Why don't you come over here by yourself and come aboard our ship and, and you know, no need to bring any guns or anything and just come on aboard. It's not like we're going to turn around and jump into, into, into hyperspace immediately when you get on board and take you back to Clark. So I was actually surprised that that turned out to be kind of a misdirection, at least so far, right? right? And they right. actually were like, hey, Captain, you know, did you think that at all? I mean, did, was your spidey sense going off when the Agamemnon showed up the first time? Not necessarily when they showed up the first time, but when they when they invited him over there and he was like, oh, oh, sure, I'll just pop right over. When it first came out and they first said, hey, we want to join up and stuff, I'm like, well, that's cool. And then they said, yeah, why don't you come over? And, and then because we had just seen last episode where where uh, they were setting up, yeah, you know, Captain. Um, the captain where Garibaldi said, yeah, let me get my people. And I was thinking, wait a minute, is this how they get them again? I, I forget exactly. exactly how they do it. Yep. And then of course 100%. the rest of the episode came, came out. Yeah. It's one of those things yeah. where it's like you wait for the whole episode for the other shoe to drop and it never does. And you keep thinking, right. I mean, I almost wish, I, I guess if you ask JMS this and he wasn't in a bad mood, which is most of the time and gives you a, a smart, lucky <laughs> answer. If he gave you a legitimate answer, he would probably say something like, you know, it's a red herring or it wasn't ever intended that way. It just came across that way. But right. I really think that when you put out a red herring like this and you never pay off on it one way or the other, it just kind of was there. I mean, they, they, it needed some kind of a payoff to say it's not a setup. It didn't, it, we never got anything except that they just, there it was. Right. So th- that kind of bothered me. Yeah, it was. It yeah, it was kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Like a coincidence that they showed up right at the same. I mean, that's how it comes across now, right? Because you know it wasn't a red herring, but it 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 just seems a little too convenient that they just popped up right there. I and I like I almost wish that they'd shown like the shuttle landing, and and then and the captain of the Agamemnon goes down to the bay, and the door on the shuttle opens, and Sheridan gets out, and like five security guards with. PPG rifles all get out with him 
And he's right. like, well, you think I was going to trust you? You know, come on. Right. Well, yeah, this whole episode, Connie kept saying, why is he Why is he doing that? I mean, I, doesn't he have any sense of secure, self-security at all? Has he no sense of self-preservation? First, he hops over to the, mm-hmm. the, the Agamemnon like it's, you know, no big deal. And then when Garibaldi calls, he's like, yes, let's go. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Well, it, and... At least Everybody's then, telling them this is an obvious yeah. setup because it is so painfully obvious. Well, at least then there's the excuse he's worried about his dad. There was no right. reason whatsoever for him to go get on the freaking Agamemnon when it showed up. And well, every sure reason no not to. Hey, I trained him. I know these guys. Yeah. Well, like, I'd have had... <laughs> you know how they're good about continuity with showing where the spaceships are when you come back from commercials and stuff? Right. I'd have come back from a commercial... Had the Agamemnon sitting there and have like two white stars and two Omega destroyers parked on either side of it with the guns pointing right at it. <laughs> right. Like, Wel- welcome to the fleet, Captain. <laughs> and then just like guns, right? <laughs> Make a wrong move. Do anything. We'll see. You know, we're going to ventilate your, your vessel. Well, anyway, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that noticed that because that was yeah, really bothering no, that, me. Yeah, yeah that, that definitely because I, I actually even thought for just a split second, wait a minute, is this how they, is this, was this all set up by Garibaldi? Is this how they get them? But yeah. Then it, then it slays out differently. So. so here's a question Did Ivanova just put Delenn in charge of the station? Yes, I saw that. I was like, whoa. That, I mean, she literally, and she doesn't even say, you're in charge now, or can you take the con, or something like that. She goes, do you mind watching over things? Like, it's a kid or something that they have Well, to, you, you know, know who she's watching over. Atumbe? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this is Major Atumbe's big moment. <laughs> this is it, Andy. This is his big moment. He gets to wake up early instead of late. <laughs> and Delenn's kind of standing behind him, watching him, got her arms crossed, like, Now, Major, uh, did you mean to push that button? Oh, no, ma'am, sorry. Oh, turn it off. <laughs> I've never seen this place with all the lights on before. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, this, is what, this is what it looks like. Um, okay, is Sharon and... I, well, this was not clear to me. The first 15 times I saw this episode, I kept thinking Sheridan was being held by Clark's people. But this started to occur to me, is it Clark's people that have him? Is it Edgar's people that caught him and then handed him over? Is it the Psychor? Who who has him? I think, and I'm trying to remember everything. I think Edgar. At one point in time, Edgar's even said, "Before we turn him over to Clark, we got to do something or something like that." I want to say there was a line in there that said that. If that's the case, and and somebody out there correct me if I'm wrong, but if that's the case, then that would mean that they took him. Yeah. And then turned him over to Clark, which would mean the same as turning him over to the Psychor. Well, that's true. And and it seems like Edgar's would want to do it that way because it would get Edgar's brownie points. Look what I gave absolutely. you. Absolutely. Right. Ac- right. Absolutely. So, but it just, it's not clear. It's never been clear to me who has him at any given moment. And, right. maybe, and the, we'll, may, maybe we'll learn more next time, but I don't remember. The fact that he was taken by thugs on Mars. Yeah would lead me to believe that that was all in Edgar's operation. Yeah, I thought so too, but I'd never thought that. I always just thought, oh, it's Clark. Clark's got him, boom. Right. But this this time I was more like, oh, well, you know, Edgar's doesn't really like or respect Clark, and it is on Mars, and if you're going to hand him over, you might as well catch him yourself and get the credit of handing him over. Right. But then Psychor swooped in and, and wiped out Edgar's whole operation and anyway. So it doesn't so, matter, yeah. Right. I, I, it made me think of that scene in, um, in Payback, where uh, 
the little gambling dude, I can't think of the act, the great actor that plays him, is in the car with Parker, with Porter, Mel Gibson. And he's got the right. gun right up in Mel Gibson's face. He's like, me capturing the great Porter. I'm just going to walk you right into the headquarters. Porter on the hoof. I'm just going to walk you right in. And Porter just reaches up, just takes the gun away from him, points it back. He's like, are you going to kill me? Are you going to kill me? <laughs> I'm just imagining uh, like Wade. John Sheridan on the hoof. I'm going to march you right into <laughs> President Clark's headquarters. Just march you right in. All right. I did, um, I did, I did just think of a, a, a new um, random fact that I forgot to mention. Are yes, we sir. still on random facts? Sure. Yes. It was a, a, we had another newspaper sighting. Oh. Oh, we did. Ed, yes. Edgar's was walking around a newspaper in the morning, reading the morning paper. <laughs> he was reading the paper when Garibaldi came in and was telling him stuff, and he was like, right. Didn't have time, or wasn't it Garibaldi? Yeah, and he just like, yeah, that was Garibaldi. I don't have, I don't have time for you right now. I'm reading this very important family circle <laughs> cartoon. <laughs> the great great grandson of uh, Bill Waters, right. or whoever Bill, whatever the guy was, is, is, did his still thing. going at it. Oh, so great, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, Marmaduke, hold on, Garibaldi. <laughs> What's that big dog doing this week? Hold on, Garibaldi, just wait. Um. The psychedelic scene where Sheridan gets beaten up looks to me like it came straight out of an episode of Crusade. Now, I suspect that was one of the things you were going to mention that, that, that Mike yes. Vehar does. But yeah. I think it also is the direction that JMS kind of wanted Crusade to go in with kind of like the psychedelic imagery and the ambient music yeah. and everything, you know. That, that, did, does that strike you or has it been too long since you saw Crusade? It's probably been too long since I have seen Crusade, but now that now that you bring it up, I'm curious to see if Michael Vehar directed mm. any of the Crusade stuff. That's a good point. May, maybe he just took that style with him. Yeah. Maybe that was just his developing style. Could be. Yeah, that's a good point. That'd be interesting to look at. But yeah, cool. I, I thought that scene was really super. Well, obviously, when we get to Crusade, we'll definitely talk about who's directing it right and all that. So Yes. Um, once again, I was struck by how surprising it was to me before when Eggers keeps explaining that Clark is just trivial. He's not the real problem because this show has spent three and a half years at this point building up Clark as Hitler, basically. Right. And now you're like, oh, you know, he's no big deal. And he points out that he, you know, one way or another, he'll be gone in a few years. What matters is the permanent stuff he's done. Right. And I thought that's something we deal with in politics every day. You know, right. is that the whatever tin pot dictator happens to be in charge um, it's the stuff that they leave behind that's what we have to deal with going forward, you know. Right. And Edgar's is playing uh, on a power level that's a, at least one or two levels above whoever the president is. I mean, yeah. j just like oil companies today, you know, play, play at a whole different power level from heads of state. Because, that's right. Because you know, they, they control that stuff. You know, Andy, when, when, when Bester got on the tube at the end... And as smug as the cat that swallowed the psychor, and he and he grins and he explains to Garibaldi his whole plan. I already thought he was a great villain. Yeah. At that point, he became a master craftsman, yes. supervillain. Yes, absolutely. That and, and the and it was straight out of the comic books the way he laid out his whole plan oh, yeah. to the the protagonist, and then it just said, "I'll let you live," you know, just so you can hate yourself forever. I mean, it, it was so villainous and evil the way he 
manipulated Garibaldi. And, you know, I thought I was thinking back of all the times that we were like, yeah, Garibaldi got one up on him when he, you know, when he did all his little digs on him and all the cracks on him and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you know, Garibaldi got his little jabs in, but really Bester won this one. Just yeah. wiped the, the mat with him. I mean, it wasn't even funny, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's any secret about one of our categories later. Um, yeah, and and I and he even says you can pr- you can tell your friends that that it was me or whatever, but I doubt they'll yeah. believe you know. And so that's right. going, again no spoilers here, but just speculation. If this is like the first time we saw it, it it really does set up an interesting question of will anybody listen to Garibaldi long enough for him to persuade them he's telling the truth, or will they shoot on sight as Ivanova? ordered them to right. which is all and that was right and that wasn't even ivanova being you know the badass ivanova you know just you know no. talking talking smack that was ivanova truly pissed off and just, wanting garibaldi her friend mm-hmm. dead and yeah that's how that's how much they hate him now that's really remarkable. and that that's yeah that that's that's and that was the most vile part about bester's plan was how he utterly destroyed garibaldi as as a character just completely yeah yeah absolutely um, there, the last thing, there are several million human telepaths. I didn't know what the yeah. number was. I didn't think it was that many. Yeah. Well, but, I, somebody at some point in time said it was like one out of every 1000 people was a telepath or something like that. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, well, and, and, uh, where was I going with that? Several million. And they're all supposed to be in the psychor taking drugs. I doubt that many are taking drugs. That's a lot of people in the psychor. Yeah. Man, that's bigger than most armies. They're up there with them. Right. You know. Well, being re- who telepaths who are registered with Psychor, that doesn't mean that they're psychops. That just means that they're yeah. You know, it's like saying you know you have all the the millions of Germans who were registered in the Nazi Party, but they weren't part of the Waffen SS that were going around right. doing all the really nasty stuff. That's true. That's true. Werner von Braun, S. Uh, Nazi party number or whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right. Although exactly. I think he was in the SS briefly too. But anyway, that's a whole other show or two. Right. Um, <laughs> and movie recently. Right. Unanswer- unanswered questions. They say, Garibaldi, you can't leave now because it's all top secret. Very next scene, he's in the tube. Right. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, wait, how did he? I guess we are to understand Garibaldi can just leave, get out, he can find his way out. But still, that was, right. that was surprising. Yeah, that was a little confusing. Are we to understand the telepath virus is shadow tech? Uh, yeah, they they almost well, Bester. Well, somebody who was it? Somebody uh, posited that theory. I think it was yeah. Bester who said that it that he thought it was shadow. I, I'm assuming 100 percent that it was shadow tech. Yeah. I wonder if the shadows have any other viruses that they might drop on you. Hmm. Hmm. You know. And the one part of this plan of Edgar's that I questioned was, does he not understand that viruses mutate, especially when you start infecting millions of people with it? Yep. That's a good point. That's a good point. Not well thought out. Uh, What does Bester plan to do? We're in in unanswered questions, by the way. Uh, What does Bester plan to do with the virus? We don't know. Yeah. That's does, a good question. Does Franklin yet know the full extent of Sheridan's plans for the frozen telepaths, and can he do it without Sheridan? Does Ivanova know? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Why didn't Franklin detect Garibaldi's false tooth during the medical exams? I wondered that, too. I'm like, wait a minute. How, mm-hmm. how, how did they sneak that one past, you know, Dr. Duguid? 
Look at you. Uh, is, well, unanswered question for now. Is the Agamemnon's defection to the resistance what it seems? Well, that's what we've already been talking about. Right. Um, the shat. Okay. Um, and now, let's see. F- a few other... Oh, I, I left these out of the other part. Uh, the shadows were apparently right about Ivanova. She is indeed taking Sheridan's place, just as Bester says they feared. Yep. Um, Bester's manipulation of Garibaldi was foreshadowed in dust to dust. Bester told Garibaldi, I enjoyed working with you. We made a good team. Perhaps we'll do it again sometime. Well, guess what? hey Um, It was also foreshadowed in divided loyalties in which Garibaldi pretended to have a personality implant as a joke. Remember that? Yep. And then, in the quality of mercy, Talia and Garibaldi shared a moment of mutual foreshadowing when she said to him, things that live inside us, Mr. Garibaldi, terrible things, terrible. Whoa, interesting. The ISN broadcast showed investigators picking up a necklace from the floor of the the Eggers building, which was worn by Lise when she listened in on the conversation earlier. So she was there, and then she, we don't know what she did. No, is she don't. alive? We don't know. Unanswered question. Um, let's see. I'm trying to figure. Oh, references to Nazis abound. Eggers described his plan to a salute as a solution to the telepath problem, an echo of Hitler's Jewish problem. Bester told Garibaldi that he had just prevented a Holocaust. Eggers even referred to the Nazis directly, though he misspoke a date. He claimed they came to power in 1939, but of course they actually came to power in 1933. They invaded. Poland in 1939. Right. Um, yeah, there's something about the... Yeah, we covered, we covered all this. Why didn't Edgars go ahead and release the virus? What was he waiting for? Because he missed uh, his opportunity. He mentioned something about that when he was explaining it. I, I, I want to say it. that they're waiting, they were waiting until they, they picked up Sheridan, I thought. Oh, maybe that was it, yeah. Yeah, I think that he mentioned that. Um. So, uh, they mentioned Edgar's plan didn't amount to anything in the end. He was the only known credible threat to Psychor now that he's dead and the Psychor has control of his weapon. And Ivanova's continuing the rebel advance, even in the face of Sheridan's capture. Edgar's fear of Clark panicking and giving increasing amounts of control of the Psychor may have become even more of a reality than it would have been already, thanks to this. Yep. Way to go, Edgar's. That's called hubris. Yeah. Um,. Bester could possibly use the virus on Lita. Ooh. We don't know. Um, yeah, Bester, Bester could use this virus to get every telepath to sign up with Psychor. Yeah. You no know, doubt. If, if, if you don't sign up with Psychor because you will die, you know, then people won't not sign up. I mean, you won't have rogue telepaths anymore. Would he want to release it, though? If you even release it a little bit, it's going to spread. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He could infect every telepath with it. Including himself. Yeah. And Psychor, well, he would have, you know, the antidote. Yeah. So he could get he could get every every single telepath hooked on it. Yeah. Well, that's true. I wouldn't put it past him. Anybody else maybe yeah. not, but Right. Um Number one said that when Lita passed through Mars a year and a half earlier in Divided Loyalties, she made no mention of being a telepath. That's inconsistent with Lita's story in that episode where she tells Sheridan and the others that at the time she'd been helping out the Resistance and implied they hired her for her telepathic skills. Well, That just goes to show that that Lita is bad news. <laughs> she deserves everything that she's, gonna, she's got. Oh, 
or not gotten as a Gates oh, movie. Not gotten, yeah. Poor thing. Oh, and finally, you'll appreciate this one. They say number one apparently really does treat all her former lovers like she treated Philippe. <laughs> <laughs> right. We were wondering, and now we know. Welcome to the club, Stephen. Right. Yeah, because when, when she saw Stephen, she gave him a handshake, and then she got nasty with him. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it's nothing Stephen doesn't deserve or can't handle, I think. This is true. This is true. Um, Garibaldi's now missing a tooth. I think yeah. he has been for a while. And uh, let's see. This is the series' second attack on somebody using a skin tab. The first was the poisoning of Kosh in The Gathering, which never made any sense to me. Right, because he doesn't have skin. doesn't have freaking hands, but whatever. Um, the Sheridan fight scene shot in slow motion. I have a lot of notes tonight. was interspersed by editor David Foster with shots taken by the still photographer Byron Cohen. Uh, so that's how they were able to do that. They went from video to still shots. Yeah, and the and finally, the shot of Garibaldi on the ISN broadcast at the end is from the season three opening credits. I thought it was good that they used an older picture because that's what they would have had. Right. They're not going to have yeah. like current pictures of anybody on the station. Right. So that made sense. It's like they and went it, to their Facebook page and pulled off, you know, their <laughs> profile picture from five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, JMS says this was probably one of the best shows they've done. He's watched it at least a dozen times, and it still works for me. Um, he said, one thing I wanted to do later part of season four was experiment a little more, try different things. I feel we need to push visually to try new things, the sort of visual techniques you don't see much in science fiction TV. Some may succeed, some may fail, but you learn something. Yeah, they had an actual a, a modern rock and roll song in there. They did instead of, instead of you know the the typical uh, bombastic orchestral music that they have. Yeah, uh, Zimbalist did a great job for us. He took huge gobs of exposition and not only delivered it, he made it sound interesting. Yeah, uh, he was not a fan of the show. He just I just figured he'd be great for the job and cast him without audition. He didn't know anything about the show before that. Somebody asked, what was the shimmering wall? I was wondering that, that Sheridan stood near on the White Star Bridge. He says those were the auto repair systems at work. Ooh, interesting, that's interesting. Huh? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't care about that one. Somebody, oh, somebody said to him, I thought the fight was a bit too long. Uh, all I can suggest is that John's metabolism isn't normal anymore. Perhaps that had an effect. Um, it was for dramatic and stylistic effect. Not everything done with some style has to have a scientific explanation. Right. Having been mugged myself, time expands and slows down. Yeah, if you read his autobiography, he talks about nearly getting killed by muggers in, I think, San Diego, which is why he yeah. nuked San Diego which on the show. Which is why he nuked it, yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, it's the TV cliche that fights are over in a second. Ask anyone who's ever been in a real knockdown fight. It goes on a heck of a lot longer than we showed here. Uh, when I got mugged, it went on for 10 minutes. Uh, let's see. Was Bester's salute a prisoner reference? No, not a prisoner, prisoner homage at all in any way. Is he being sarcastic there? Don't we think that it was very much a prisoner thing? I think it was intentionally a prisoner thing because that is totally the type of TV show that it, that he would have watched back but in the sixties. It's come up before, like in the first right. season we talked about it. So I didn't right. I don't know why I said that. Okay. Why mess Eggers' place up so thoroughly? JMS says they wanted it to look like it was done by the resistance. Too much attention to his death would have drawn attention of the psych to the psych whore. Uh, Wade specifically says Lise wasn't there when they got back, so that eliminates her from the scenario. And um, 
Did Edgars really believe the EarthGov propaganda that Sheridan was operating under the malignant influence of aliens? No. Is Bester really dumb with Garibaldi? For the moment. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Franklin and Number One seem to have cooled their relationship. Any further developments in the works here? JMS says, any more personal stuff got set aside when Franklin showed up with A, another female, B, a telepath. When, when Number One calms down, they might take another shot at it. <laughs> That's interesting. He showed up with another woman and a female. Um, he could have just said, "This is a this is a Marcus in a one of those suits, like in the Gathering, you know, for undercover yeah. work." <laughs> I forgot about those suits. Um, yeah, it's it, it's funny that Garib- uh, that that uh, Franklin has traveled to Mars with two different people, and it was Marcus he was supposed to be married to, not Lita. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. They made a better couple anyway. Um, Let's see. Wasn't Edgar's complex guarded to keep people from leaving without permission? JMS says, if anybody could slip away, Garibaldi could. And I guess that's what he did. That's true. And then finally, 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 Ivanova quoted Sheridan as saying, the person is expendable, the job is not. But in fact, it was Sinclair who said that in World Without End, in World Without End, War Without End, I can't speak, sorry, in War Without End, I don't remember which episode. And, and JMS says, but then if I did everything perfectly, wouldn't it be boring? There you go. There's a whole lot of notes. We, all, we could almost have done a, a re- feedback and discussion episode right. on this one. But Right. All right. Let's get through our categories here. What was your high point of this episode? I had uh, – there really <laughs> there really wasn't really yeah. big high points. I had two of them. I had when the Aggie shows up. Yeah. yeah, I just love that ship, and I love the name of it. I love the, the symbol of it, you know, the, the individual symbol that they have, mm-hmm. the, the Greek warrior helmet and all that stuff. I thought that was really cool, and it was neat to see him, you know, getting back with his, his old crew and how they treated him, how deferential and stuff they were to him. And I also thought at the very end when, um, what's her name, when Ivanova says, we finish what we started, and she just jumps right into the role that Captain Sheridan was in, without mm-hmm. missing a beat and she was ready to go and continue the, the, the battle. I thought that was really, that was a cool character moment for her. And I thought that was a, a, a neat moment for just the showing the unity of the, the uh, Babylon five crew or the, at least the leadership team. Well, Justin on Zahadoom was right. They just another person yeah. step up and take their place, which right. is interesting because it begs the question, how important is the individual in history, and that is something, no spoiler, but that is something that's going to be addressed in a very, very major way coming up in a few in a few episodes. Right. The importance of the individual versus the tides of history. So I think we're going to have a good time getting into that when we get there. Yes. My high point was when Mackie got the other ships to surrender to Sheridan. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, like I that. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, low point of the episode, well, where to begin? Oh golly, uh, my the the low point for me the the one that hit me the hardest emotionally. They, I could have gone two different ways, but I went with when Sheridan got taken. Yeah, that I mean yeah. that because at that point, I mean that was before you know uh, Susan took over. But at that point, it was like this is the end of you know three and a half, almost four seasons of story. Suddenly, you know mm-hmm. this is the, the I mean it, in, in writing this is. The moment when there's a major death that that sets back the the whole plot and it it makes all the characters rethink their motives and all that stuff this was that moment for babylon 5 because it it was effectively a death it was their head guy getting taken by the bad guys and let's just note let's note 
the next episode, the one we do in two weeks, the next episode was originally the season four finale. Right. And what happens every season, every season finale, you know, something dramatic to Sheridan. Yeah. Especially yeah. the Sheridan. So, you know, somebody either tries to kill him or does kill him. <laughs> I think you can't top jumping off the balcony of Zaha Doom, but they try. Right. All right. Right. Um, I, I had two. They both involved Garibaldi. Garibaldi slaps tranquilizer on Sheridan. That's one low point. And the other is Garibaldi yep. is freed from Bester's control and wakes up. Yeah, pretty pretty rough. That was, pretty rough. That was my other one. Yeah, yeah. Because you knew the first thing he tried to do was call home, call Babylon Five, <sighs> and say, "Guys, guys, guys, guess what?" And they wouldn't even take his calls. Yep. Not surprising. Not surprising, but that's still you know that had a devastation. Most Babylon Five scene. Uh, for me, let me see. I had when Garibaldi remet just what you said. Yeah, that a whole scene when Bester lays everything out to him and explains it. it all to him and all that stuff because you know that that's that's such a huge plot moment and it's been it building for you know more than a season now. So um, yeah, and, and it shows Babylon Five's greatest villain doing the the great villain stuff that he does i thought it was just a, a it, it was an all-around great babylon 5 scene that, that is one of the scenes that i think of when i think of babylon 5 is is that whole scene right there when when bester is being the worst i'm gonna do a poll on twitter and hashtag babylon 5 it all right who was the greatest villain on babylon 5 and i'm gonna list bester mr yeah. mort mr morden yeah president clark should i put londo well, of course. I mean, I only get four. Is my fourth okay. one Londo? You got to have those. You got to have those first three. Those first three right. are non-negotiable. Is the fourth? The, is the fourth the option? Well, no. I mean, I could say you know aliens or something, but I think okay. I think Morden kind of covers the shadows. Right. Okay. So Mort, Morden, Clark, Bester. Those are the big three right there. And then is it? Yeah. Is Londo the fourth one? I mean, I hate to say that. He would have. I mean, he was Space Hitler there for a he season was. or two. It, but am I leaving anybody out? I mean, there's little ones like Death Walker and... Nagrath. You can't leave Nagrath off this <laughs> no, list. <laughs> there's just a handful of touchstones of our show, Andy. There's Major Tumbay. There's Nagrath. Ari Benzane. Ari Benzane. There's a handful of just... They, they get a lot of love on this show. Yeah. Um, I think it's got to be those four. I'm going to do that. Would, yeah. If I'm forgetting been. somebody, I wish... I wish I could remember. I uh, this would be Cartagia. 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 Eh, yeah, I guess wouldn't. maybe. I don't know. All right, I'll think. Maybe this is this is a discussion we could we could take up a whole episode with. But I, <laughs> and we are. I'm not, hey. I I'm not going to weigh in on this until after you post it because you know being an influencer that I am, I don't want to influence anybody's <laughs> votes. That's, that's right. <laughs> Well, I'll reveal how it came, how it comes out on the next episode when I put yeah, the poll out Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'll certainly vote in it. Yes. All right. Um, yeah, most battle on five scene for me, if I haven't already said, was best to reveal his evil plan. Favorite yeah. character moment. You know what? For me, it was the uh, discussion between Lita and Franklin. I thought that was when she was explaining to him the the whole uh, uh, the telepath thing. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was a great moment for for Lita and for the actress because she she nailed it. That was a that was a, a great scene. I thought. Yeah, I had uh, when Susan tells Marcus we're going to go on to Earth. We're not slowing down and shoot Garibaldi yeah. on sight. Right. So once again, Susan always steals the show. Pretty much, she's yeah. guaranteed to. 
That, that was a cool scene, too. I agree. Uh, f- oh, gosh. Funniest moment? I mean, I'm going ahead and say right now, I didn't find anything funny in this episode. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. But did you find anything funny? Yeah, when Ivanova walks into the the bridge of the um, the White Star and says, you all look like a Puck Mirage just ate your cat. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That was funny. <laughs> okay, that's good. I knew they had to get something funny in there. I just couldn't think right. of it. So, All right, who did I say, by the way? I said Bester, Morden, Cartagia, Orlando, and... Clark. Clark. God, I'm losing my mind. All right, I just wanted, I didn't want to forget that. I wanted to type it down before I forgot. All right. Who won this episode? I think there's several. I think well, there's two obvious ones. I think Clark and Bester. Yes. Both were clear win. I mean, Clark with Clark got everything he wanted. He got um, Sheridan. Yep. He got rid of uh, um, Edgar's, who was kind of a thorn in his side. Yep. Um, politically, anyway. So I mean, and, and to Clark, this is like a clear victory. He's he's all he has to do is is you know wrap up the the stragglers at this point he thinks that the war is all but one he thinks yeah 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 i had bester and the telepaths clark and also the crews of the ships that surrendered because they thought they were all going to die and they ended up being on the right that's side true. so yeah worked out yeah, for them true. yep uh let's see well now this is even longer list who lost this episode i have garibaldi and well i mean obviously all the good guys lost, you know, because they lost their leader. But I'm going to say that the big losers were Sheridan, obviously, because he got taken. Ding, but ding, ding. Garibaldi. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, Garibaldi lost everything. Well, you know who lost episode. more than Garibaldi? Who's that? Edgar's and Wade. Well, that's true, because <laughs> they kind of died. They did. So, yeah. Edgar's Wade, Garibaldi, Sheridan, there's a lot of losers. Yeah. There, it, was there Leonard, it, was, it was an episode of Leonard's Losers on Babylon yeah. 5 this and, week. At least two. I mean, man, she well, got everything ripped out from she, underneath her. She didn't win anything yet. Right. But, she yeah. She's going to have to go back to sugardaddies.com and find herself a new one. <laughs> or is she? <laughs> Think about it. If she makes it through this okay and everything works out. Yeah. She, next to Kim? Right? That, that's mm-hmm. not a bad that's, that's a, an interesting take. Yes, I will see. We'll see. No spoilers. All right, here we go. The other everybody's favorite. What did Andy rate this episode? And of course, remember because I didn't think of it at the beginning of our show, we don't do the same number as the P10 as the P5 rating. We use an actual five rating. So on a scale of zero to five, how did you, you know, rate this episode? I this was a, a really powerful episode. I thought it was well acted. I thought the direction was brilliant. Yeah, there were some really cool, powerful scenes in there. I thought this one was a four. This one deserves a four star. I think. I I really loved watching this. I gave this one a four too, and it's the first four for us in a while. Yeah, for sure. It's the first I, four I in can, a while. I can flick back in my notes. One. I gave No Surrender, No Retreat a four star. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. I don't think. But I uh, but before that, three, three, three point five, three point five. 2.5 for Racing Mars. Woo! 3, 2. Point, wow, another 2.5 That's for funny Lucha. you say that. I went back and looked at how many people have downloaded our show the last few weeks. Yeah. And would you believe Racing Mars has the fewest downloads of any show we've done <laughs> in like four months? I can, I can believe that. Yeah, people just didn't the care la- about that one. Uh, 
I think the last one where you and I were consensus on a four or higher was probably Into the Fire, 406. Wow, yeah. Which is 10 episodes ago. I you know, I I do I, I if you have all of them that be that's great. I do want to kind of know our average for this season versus our average for last season. Yeah, I now I can average mine because okay. I keep all mine on my notes. Yeah. I, I won't be able to average yours without yeah. going back through and listening to everything. Yeah, that would be a lot of work. I don't do that. Yeah. But I am curious, though. I wish I'd written it all down. Well, I do write it down, but I, de- I delete them as soon as the show's over so I can put the next episode in. But You don't save this stuff for prosperity? No, I don't. I, I started to for a while, but I just don't have enough room to ke- keep all this stuff. I thought, In fact, I thought for a while we might do a book, but then I thought, ah, I don't think we, think we have anything to say that we haven't said on our show. Right. And I'd rather I'd rather do a good podcast than be saving a bunch of stuff for a book, especially right. when there's already so many books out there about it. You know, I don't right. know that we have anything that original for a book. I, we have a lot of original stuff for a show, but right. I'm fully expecting that my notes for this show will go into the Smithsonian Institute at some point. So. <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> All right, let me thank our patrons really quickly here. Um, in fact, I'm going to I'm gonna, let me see how can I do this. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna thank the patrons, and then we'll. I've got. We have a just a handful. We have just a handful of um, of patron questions and comments. So that won't take but just a minute. But we have to, as always, thank the following folks who keep the station active and going. Keep the lights on here on the White Rocket Babylon Five Review Podcast. If you'd like to join the ranks of the folks I'm about to thank. Go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the button to become a patron. Or if you just go to Patreon, uh, patreon.com, join up there, and just search for White Rocket Reviews. That's what we are called on Patreon because we do this show, but we're going to be reviewing other stuff too. That's where the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is located, and we would appreciate your support, just like the following folks who do so much to keep us going. They in, and you can be on the, on the, you can leave questions and comments and comment on each other's thoughts and all that. They include Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, aka Ari Ben Zane. I'm missing my category, Mister. Leah G, Rich Hammett, Ben. I'm all caught up, so now I have to wait for new episodes. Rose, poor Ben. Debbie, no spoilers, Norris. We try our best. Dragon Con to Lynn. Making sure I get to mention Dragon Con every episode, whether I have to or not, because it's in her name. <laughs> Emmanuel Seaman, Jalza, Mondo 6, Michael O'Connor, Middle Age Geek Tim, Pete, the real reason Van avoids saying Dragon Con Furman, and you make me say it too. <laughs> Steve Palmer. That's, that's right. It's great. Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul. Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone with the Boba Fett Head, Michael Halbrook, and Saul Tai, Defender and Stargate Universe Enjoyer. Well, Saul Tai, uh, you're going to enjoy uh, when we do the first three-part episode of Stargate Universe once we get the Andy and I were talking before the show started, folks, that... We've got quite a lot of business to attend to once season four is over. So there's going to be a gap before we get to season five because we have to do our right. usual season wrap up. We're going to do, um, we're at some point around in there, we'll be reviewing Foundation season two. At some point in there, we'll be reviewing Dune two. 
Uh, I don't know exactly when that's going to fall, but we'll have those coming along just like we did before. Um, we're going to have to do, we have a special thing in mind uh, that we'll get to later. And for, we're going to do this for Stargate. the patrons. For the, yeah, for the for patrons. The patrons yeah. And we're going to do a Stargate Universe uh, first three episodes just to see if Andy likes it and wants to continue on with it at a later date. So Yeah. All right. So go to www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. Here are uh, the handful of, of questions and comments we got since our last episode, uh, which was, let's see, we did No Surrender, No Retreat, and I'm looking for, ah, okay. Um, oh, Ben, I'm all caught up, Rose, did say, we, I, may, I don't know if I read this one in the last episode or not, but it's worth noting. He said, we did see a human child in the Psycho recruitment ad in season two. And ah. even, even though she looked old enough to drive, a latent telepath named Elisa Belden. I remember oh. in, in Legacies, one of those episodes you can never remember what it's about is five minutes after you watch it. There you go. So there were a little couple more kids. All right, human kids. Allison Rich says, good old Allison says, I know I keep saying it, but one of the best things about Babylon 5 and JMS's writing is the sense of history and how it just keeps repeating. Well, maybe that's why I like it so much as a history professor. Advanced life forms, even something as old as a Vorlon, play politics and intrigue. I doubt that will ever change. While I am a big fan of Star Trek, the original series, nostalgia because I grew up watching it because of Spock, I am not a big fan. I got something to say about that. I'm not a big fan of the Star Trek universe because it's just too utopian. Oh, that. Carol Kane is now a cast member. Let me pause, pause Allison if she doesn't mind for just one moment. Carol Kane is now a cast member on Star Trek. Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Are you watching that show, Andy? I, I don't have the Paramount Network. Oh, I, I watched oh the, man. I watched the first season when it was briefly on YouTube. Paramount put it on their YouTube channel right in the lead up to season two. So it's, it's fantastic. I, I enjoy it thoroughly, but we have so many streaming services right now. No, I understand. Well, the two I watch the most right now are Paramount and Apple Plus. They are just head and shoulders yeah. above all the others. But yeah. I just got to say this real quick. No, no story spoiler, spoiler about it. But Carol Kane is now in the cast as, as an off as on the, on the Enterprise, the great Carol Kane. And I'm, I'm having trouble processing that. I know. It's, I believe me, you're not the only one. But she's an off. She's a Starfleet officer. All right. And there's a line where she says something like, "I have," because you know how she is. She's so funny. Her little growly voice and everything. Right. She's like, right. She says something to the effect of, "I'm not." It's not a direct quote, but this is what she gets at. She says something like, "I've got a bunch of gold stashed away back on Earth for when this whole Starfleet utopia thing turns out to be a fad." <laughs> I think she says Starfleet socialist utopia, and I'm just like, ah. I was on the floor. I was on the floor because for years we've joked about how the Federation is this great, glorious workers' paradise, you know, socialist utopia that works, you know, and all that. Because it's a post-scarcity, right. you know, universe, so you can do it. But when she says that, I'm just like, oh, when the whole Federation socialist utopia turns out to be a fad. That was the greatest <laughs> line in Star Trek history as far as I'm concerned. And the other That's thing, awesome. again, not to have too much of a spoiler, but uh, on the most recent episode that went up today, two very, very important classic Star Trek carriers, characters meet for the first time. Really? Oh, man. It's a, it's a meeting they've been hinting at since the beginning of this show. 
and this this season, I'm just telling you all right now, if you're not watch, if you like Star Trek and you're not watching Strange New Worlds, the second season has not only been the best Star Trek in ages, it's been way better than the first season, which was awesome. Better first season the was first great. Season. Second season has been just like, you know, on our scale, the first season was like 3, 3.5, 2.5, 3. This season has been 4, 4.5, 3.5, 4, to me, to me. I, I, I've seen in just trailers and stuff that James T. Kirk is on board the Enterprise now or, or is somehow involved with the show, which yeah. intrigues, intrigues the crap out of me. I wonder well, how they, they do that. They brought Samuel Kirk on early on in the first season. We're in the second I season. Remember, yep, they I brought him on. And stash and everything. So it, yes, yes. <laughs> and so it was just a matter until his of time until his brother showed up, and uh, I I think he showed up in season one, didn't he? Didn't Captain Kirk show up at some point in season one, just briefly or something? Briefly, right? Yeah, right at the very end. Oh, uh, he's he's a little he's being used a little bit more in second season, and I'm there for it. I am there for all the original series characters. It's basically Pike and his cast and then Kirk's cast mixed together. And it's right. so good. It's so good, Andy. I want to cry. We may have to go back and review this whole show when we get done with Babylon 5. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a show worth worth talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. Uh, yeah, I, I keep I, I keep wanting to get Paramount just for this show because I, I really th- – and. I thoroughly enjoyed the, the first season. I thought it was fantastic. Well, there's a lot of good stuff on Paramount. I can point you to it. Uh, I spent All like right. six months just watching Laura, uh, just watching uh, Perry Mason. <laughs> I'd never seen all yeah. the old Perry Masons. And um, I spent like six months watching that. And then there's several other things that are really good on there. Um, I'd, like to point, I'd like to point out this was not a paid promotion. No. For Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> no, but it might as well be because I really enjoy that channel a lot. All right. All right, Allison continues, and we're almost to the end. There wasn't a whole lot. She says, I'm not a big fan of the Star Trek Universe 2 Utopian. However, a fan of The Expanse and the writers of the books have acknowledged JMS for his contributions to the long story arcs which informed their series, but Babylon 5 is still number one for me. Amen, agree, agree, agree. As for right. Sheridan being changed, I think he's still the same person, but he's on a zealous mission, and he's fueled with missionary zeal. He's focused. This was obviously part of his personality, but it's really coming out now. I say yes. I'm giving her a little a little heart, little like for that comment. <laughs> I agree. I think that that's very accurate. I agree 100% with what she said, yeah. And I just have to add that I love interacting with Allison. She, yes. I, I get... Uh, 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 Facebook messages from her and stuff like that. And she's just she's wonderful. We have the best listeners and the best patrons there ever were. Not a we ton do. of them, but we the ones we have are great. And I wouldn't trade yep. them. Absolutely. Right. Ice Cream Clone says a heavy episode, but Jerry Doyle was top notch. Talking about the exercise of vital powers. As yep. for as for as far as Sheridan, he returns as the Messiah from Zahadoom and now has the clarity, lack of inhibitions to make tough decisions. I think when Delenn leaves for Minbar. She says something along the lines of, you can be more dangerous without me around. Oh, yeah, good good observation. Mm-hmm. She did say that. JMS shows that heroes aren't perfect and have to make tough calls, whether it is for the perceived greater good. I think what we see from Garibaldi and Franklin in this episode are the ways uh, in which slight changes in Sheridan's personality challenges other beliefs in him and how they respond. Questioning him in the case of Garibaldi or towing the line to some extent by Franklin. So much for nuance. So much nuance. That's <laughs> so much for nuance. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. So much nuance to these characters. Yes. Yes. 
And he says, he closes it out, I will look forward to the one-off Stargate. I have just started The Expanse, and it is phenomenal. Did you guys have any plans to podcast that? We have talked about The Expanse, about doing The Expanse. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff we could do. We just want it to be something we both are really right. into. And I don't think either one of us wants to do something we don't like. So Right. I'm I'm totally into the expanse. So if, yeah. if if you ever get the gumption to do that, uh, I, if I'm it, not the first person you call, I would be very disappointed. It's it's on the list. We're looking at Stargate Universe particularly because I think that's the one Andy will like the best. We're yep. looking at the expanse. Maybe looking at Star Trek. We'll see. I don't know. Um, all right, there are the uh, patron comments and questions. On our next installment, Andy, we will be covering 418 Intersections in Real Time. The original, under the original plan, this was season four finale. It is no longer season four finale. There, after it, there's 19, 20, 20, 22, so four more. And I, I will mention to everybody listening there uh, that this is, the, uh, this is the episode that I cite as my favorite episode of all time. This one. So I was thinking it was Deconstruction of Falling up. Stars. I get those two yeah. titles confused. This is the one. Yeah, intersections in real time, yeah. Wow. Yep. I did not okay. I've been thinking all along that you like my girlfriend yeah. back when this show was first airing that we talked about, she liked yeah. intersections. She liked deconstruction of falling stars. So when you say intersections in real time, I think inter- deconstruction of falling stars. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm looking I forward am, to hearing your thoughts on it then. I, I'm very much looking forward to watching this again and and seeing if it holds up. I mean I'm excited. I'm I'm kind right. of nervous, kind of excited, but we'll see next next yeah, next uh, episode what uh, if if this holds up as my favorite episode or not. We're gonna see. Gonna be interesting. Maybe. I'm not gonna do the spoiler space sound unless you have a spoiler thing. I think we've kind of covered everything. I yeah. I don't. There. Th- this was a very straightforward episode. Yeah. I don't have any spoiler stuff to talk. I about. no. I've we're, skirted we're, around it. We're kind of running out of spoiler space <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah we get to season five there you are there it won't be a damn thing to spoil <laughs> that's right oh i just thought of two other things that we were going to do in between season four and season five we got to do uh the movie two of the movies that came out yes because we're doing yes. them in the order they aired so right yeah before the show moved to tnt for season five there were two of the movies so we're going to cover those two movies in the right order Yep. So that'll be fun. So we got a lot of stuff yeah. to do before we even get to season five. And it's not we stuff do. that's going to make people mad, like, I wish they'd hurry up. It's going to be, plus, you know, if you know season five, you might not be in a big hurry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when Van and I were talking about this, Van was like, are we just inventing stuff so we don't have to watch season five again? <laughs> <laughs> not, dude, we're going to watch it. Just, you know, we're putting it off a little bit. Just putting it off a little bit. So, but no, no, there's plenty of love about season five. And we're going to, I think it's going to be very much like season one with us where we find all the good stuff to kind of dig into and talk about. I think it, I'm looking forward I, to that. I, I am too. I'm really looking forward to watching. And I never thought I would ever, ever utter those words, <laughs> but I'm actually looking forward to watching season five. Yeah. Yeah. And Andy came up with a little treat for you patrons. So, you might want to go ahead and pretty soon and be signing up if you're not a patron because he's got an idea of something we're going to do in the break as well just for you guys. So, yeah. All right. Well, with no further ado, I think that'll do it for us. Uh, you ready to get out of here? I am set. All right. So that's the White Rocket Babylon 5 review for this week. We'll see you guys in two weeks for Intersections in Real Time. Have a good uh, rest of your evening, Andy. All right. You too, sir. Thank you. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.